0: But to be honest, when I was at school, I was excluded from sport because of my disability, which was really rubbish, um, very unfair. And it was really difficult for me. I lost a lot of self-esteem through that um, of the Paralympic team, the London 2012 Paralympic team. So I was so blessed to have him literally on my doorstep. Like the track is literally 10 minutes away from where I live. Um, Rio 2016. um, Also, I had the European Championships in Berlin in 2018 and a world championships in Dubai in 2019. So I've been to some pretty cool places in the world. And I think God really revealed to me that, "Mm, you know, the sport thing might just be an idol. And I was like, I don't want to hear that, Lord. Why would you say that? I tell my younger self to be patient and just to enjoy the process because I've definitely had moments where I've got so ahead of myself. i got so worried about having the perfect result and getting the medals and all this stuff but I think it's just so important to just enjoy the process and just embrace you know the present moment I think I definitely tell myself that
1: Welcome to the Valuable Podcast, where there is value in every conversation. I'm your host, Victor Sasanya, and today I am joined with Kari Adenagan, a highly valued athlete, two-time Paralympian, silver and bronze medalist. In this episode, Kari walks us through what it takes to compete in two Paralympic Games before the age of 21, as well as how to make your mark wherever you go. So how did you feel when you got accepted into Warwick University?
0: I was so happy. Warwick was my first choice university. You know, the fact that they've got such amazing sports facilities and also just it just seemed like a great place to be. So, yeah, it was amazing.
1: Yes, yes. I remember actually briefly speaking to you on Instagram. Um, I'm not sure if you remember. And one of the first questions I asked you was, how are you going to balance training competitions with university? So it's nearly three years ago since I asked that question. So have you managed to find that balance?
0: It's been difficult, to be honest. I think obviously every single year of university, the workload's increased. So in many ways it has been hard, but I think I've had to just be really disciplined and just have a really good schedule for each day. And it has made it a lot more possible.
1: Did you feel like attending Warwick University has been what you expected...
0: To be honest, I think it's been better than what I expected, just in terms of having a good balance, like I said, in terms of sport and in terms of academics. But also, I feel like Warwick's just quite a chilled place as well. You know, I've got to know a lot of really great people. So it's definitely been, yeah, it's been a really great experience.
1: So does Warwick support you at all as a student athlete?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually a Warwick sports scholar. So it is pretty cool. I get free access to the gym, which is amazing because the gym subscription is quite expensive. So I'm quite happy to get that for free. Um, And they also give me academic support. So what they do is they're able to speak to, you know, like my personal tutor if I need any help in terms of maybe extensions. So for example, I had a world championships in 2019 at the beginning of first year. And through the sports scholarship, they were able to support me in terms of making sure that I got my work done while I was away.
1: And how does one go about applying for a sports scholarship? Did you get that prior to joining the university or did you sort of apply during your time here?
0: Yeah, so it's actually before I started at Warwick, I heard about the sports scholarship from one of the open days. So you can basically apply online and then the application form um, usually you put in at the beginning of September or kind of end of October to beginning of September. And then within a couple of weeks, you get a reply back. And then there's an induction day and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's like an online process.
1: And does the scholarship include sort of bursary payments or income? Or is it just sort of free gym membership?
0: There's also bursary um, income. So it depends on your level. So there's different levels, there's gold, silver and bronze levels. And I think there might be a level below that. And then depending on your level, you're able to also have um, a bursary. So some money to go towards any sports related, um, you know, sports related costs that you might have.
1: What do you study at work University?
0: I study history.
1: And how's it been studying that?
0: It's been so interesting studying history. I was really passionate about history before I came to Warwick but with Warwick there's so many different aspects of history that we're actually allowed to study. So I've learned a lot about black history and that's something that I'm really interested in and something that I haven't been able to learn about before. So I've really been um, enjoying just the diversity of the things that we're able to study here.
1: You said that you're into history before you came to university so is that a subject you studied whilst at Sixth or College or how did you get into history?
0: So I studied history for GCSE and then also continued history during A-levels as well but I'd definitely say university degree level history is so much better than school history it's completely different and in all the best ways it's um, different.
1: So I grew up in London schooled in London and then went to work university to further my education but as for you, you're, you're no stranger to work as you were actually born and raised in Coventry. So what was it like schooling in Coventry? So what school did you attend?
0: So I went to a school called um Bab Lake School in Coventry. And my school was so supportive of my sport. but Also, they were quite an um, academic school um, as well. So it meant that I was definitely pushed academically. And they supported me a lot, you know, for that, that university process of application as well.
1: I found out that Bablik was, or Bablik should I say, is a very, very old school. So they are founded in the 14th century. So um, attending that school, do you think they also helped you with your sport? Or how did you get into sport in the first place? Was athletics the first thing you sort of thought about? Or did you venture into any other sports?
0: Well, I did a little bit of wheelchair basketball when I was really young, about nine years old. So that was probably the first introduction I had to sport. But to be honest, when I was at school, I was excluded from sport because of my disability, which was really rubbish, um, very unfair. And it was really difficult for me. I lost a lot of self-esteem through that. And then I watched the London 2012 Paralympic Games. And that's when everything really turned for me because I saw people with disabilities, you know, doing elite sport and crowded stadiums and everything. And it just really inspired me to get involved in athletics.
1: Your school actually excluded you. What what exactly do you mean by that? So was it a, a case where you couldn't join in with other students in PE or you couldn't actually join in in training and go into competitions?
0: Yeah. So it was from PE. So sometimes they'd let me be a part of PE, but it was very, very restricted, like the things I could do. So most of the time I was on the sidelines watching, you know, watching my friends do PE, watching my friends do different sorts of exercise, especially in primary school. Secondary school, they're a lot more inclusive. But primary school, I was either watching them or sometimes when my friends were doing PE, I would be helping like a year three with their reading or something like that. So generally, I was excluded, um, you know, in primary school from sport. And generally, they used to say it's because of health and safety. They didn't want me to get hurt as such. But yeah.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. So how did you actually get into wheelchair racing?
0: So once I'd watched um, the games, my parents and I did some research on Google and we found out that there was a wheelchair racing group at the University of Warwick track, which is super close to where I live. And obviously yeah, I'm at university there as well. So it's all full circle. And then I met my coach and my coach was actually one of the coaches um, of the Paralympic team, the London 2012 Paralympic team. So I was so blessed to have him literally on my doorstep. Like the track is literally 10 minutes away from where I live. Um, So that's how I got involved.
1: And do you remember the first day you sort of pulled up at the track? What, what were you experiencing? What did it feel like? And what did you think will come of it?
0: The first session was amazing. Um, so I got to meet so many different people with disabilities. And that was really special as well. Just to see people with disabilities just having really regular lives, you know, and just being able to have that social aspect of sport. The sport itself, I realised, was a lot harder than I thought it was because watching the Paralympics I just saw people pushing around a track in a sports chair and I thought it was going to be so easy and then that that first session was so hard like I realized how technical it all was but I also from that moment you know I had this hunger in me that I really want to get to a Paralympic Games um, so it definitely sparked that interest in me.
1: I think that's really, really interesting in terms of speaking about how viewers on the outside can sort of watch the sport and think, oh, this is really easy. And you you don't actually know how hard it is. And um that just leads me to my next question. Could you explain what type of races are there in wheelchair racing and what type of races did you train for?
0: So firstly, for para athletics, we're put into classifications. So I've got a disability called cerebral palsy. So when I started athletics, I was put into a classification called the T34 classification. So that's for people with cerebral palsy, which affects just their lower limbs, mostly, or people with disabilities similar to cerebral palsy. So it's not necessarily always cerebral palsy. It's generally conditions like neurological conditions, basically. And then Depending on your classification, you have certain events that you have at the Paralympics. So, for me, my events are the 100 meters and the 800 meters. So, when I started, I generally just did all the track events. So, from 100 meters to 1500 meters, I also did a bit of road racing as well. So, I did a 5K race. That was the first ever race I did. So, generally, as you probably know from that, in wheelchair racing, we do all sorts of distances, like just all sorts of events. So, I was literally training for everything.
1: you're very very versatile so you're not only a short distance sprinter but you've actually done 5k races as well in terms of the first ever race you done do you remember what the result was like and and how you felt after
0: Yeah. So the first race I did was the London mini marathon. So that's a course for under 18 athletes. And it's the last three miles of the actual London marathon race. And I was, I was 12 in my first race and I came second for the under 15 girls. And, you know, I was so proud of myself just to do a race. The time wasn't. Amazing! I think I did twenty-three minutes, which um, eventually I lowered to twelve minutes in my last London mini marathon. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a great experience just to be around other people with disabilities, to be in that competitive um, atmosphere.
1: Wow! Did you just say that you were twelve in your first race? That that absolutely is amazing. So you weren't even a teenager yet. You were coached by. The London Paralympian team and you met so many different people. So if we just fast forward on two to three years, you were called up to compete in the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games. Talk to me a bit about how did one become so skilled and such a value athlete in a short amount of time in order to be called up to compete for their country.
0: It was difficult, but I was really thankful because I had support from British Athletics. So there's basically a performance pathway. So I started when I was, um, when I was 11, first race when I was 12, then I got put on something called the talent identification program. So they supported me in terms of just teaching me, you know, what does it mean to be an athlete? How are you supposed to eat? How are you supposed to train? And All that kind of stuff. So that was really important for me. Then I got put on the Futures program and a similar thing supporting me in terms of, you know, what's the mindset of an athlete? How do I look after my equipment and all those kind of things? So all those things, you know, I was really nurtured through the program, which definitely helps. And then I was eventually put on the World Class Performance program just before the Paralympics when I was 15 years old. So having that support really helped. And also it was just a sense of, you know, discipline, um, you know, in training as well.
1: What motivated you to actually go out there to actually train and and what was your training regime like?
0: So before I went to the Rio 2016. 2016- Paralympic Games, the dream I had was just to make a Paralympic team. So that was what really motivated me. After watching London 2012, I just really wanted to be a part of it for myself. And then my training regime then wasn't too, um, too crazy at all, to be honest, because I was only 13, 14, 15 years old, you know, the first couple of years before the Paralympic Games. I was going to the gym maybe once a week, having three track sessions a week, trying to make sure that I was recovering well as well, because at that age, obviously I wasn't trying to lift too many weights or get injured. Um, So it was just about maintaining form and just getting faster each year.
1: And how many days did you train a week?
0: So I trained about four to five days a week at that point.
1: Were they intense training sessions? Were they one hour? How how long would they last for?
0: So track sessions would be around an hour and a half and then a gym session would be around an hour.
1: So four to five times a week you're training but you're also attending school. So talk to me a bit about that balance. Did you always train in the evenings? Did you ever train in the mornings?
0: So when I was at Secondary school, I would train generally in the evenings, so that generally worked a lot well, you know a lot easier with school. So what would usually happen is a full day of school I'd try and get as much homework as I could get done before training, and then sometimes I had to do some homework after training as well.
1: What was it like sort of going to training after you finished school? did you actually have any friends um That went with you to training? Did you have to just make friends at the club? Or talk to me a bit about that sort of process in terms of going from one environment into the other?
0: Um, It took a while. I think I had to obviously make friends where I was training as well. Um, And also, my club, that's kind of a variety of ages ages of people that actually do wheelchair racing so the oldest person in the group was about 50 years old the youngest person being eight years old so it was kind of it's definitely like a family environment that we had in training and we still do um so it was just great to feel a part of a community um so I definitely felt like even after a day of school I could go to training and we just had that real family vibe.
1: No, that sounds so amazing. And I'm sure that they supported you on your way to your first Paralympic Games and even on your way to your second Paralympic Games. So you talk to me a bit about the different races and the classifications. Um, So you currently compete in T-34, 100 metres, 800 metres. Do you do the 400 metres?
0: So we used to do the 400 metres, but the 400 metres got taken out of the Paralympics. So I do it nationally, but not internationally.
1: And the fact that you actually compete nationally and internationally already um, tells about how great you are in the sport. So um, can you talk to me about the competitions you've competed and what's sort of been the best highlight in any of your races?
0: So my first time wearing a GB vest was at the World Junior Championships in 2014. So that was a huge highlight, just being able to represent the country um, and then I also had my first senior world championships in 2015. And that was in Doha, Qatar, which is a really lovely place. Um, Rio 2016. Um, also, I had the European championships in Berlin in 2018 and a world championships in Dubai in 2019. So I've been to some pretty cool places in the world.
1: <laughs> More places than I've ever been. <laughs> and um, what's it like? Do you do you make friends abroad? What's the, what, What's it like experiencing different cultures?
0: It's really fun. You know, I actually really enjoy the travel aspect of competing, just being able to, yeah, explore different places in terms of culture, in terms of visiting museums as a historian. I get quite excited about museums. So, um, that was always fun, but also just getting to know, yeah, getting to know athletes from different countries and speaking. I always kind of try and practice languages as well, a bit of French, a bit of. Yeah, I try and I try and pretend as if I can speak languages as well when I go away and meet people. But yeah, I think, again, we just feel like a massive family, the Paralympic family, even just meeting people who do different sports and from different nations. So um, yeah, it's really exciting.
1: And I guess, how do you stay disciplined? For somebody who competes at such a high level as yourself, I'm sure it requires some sort of sacrifice. Um, so how do you actually stay disciplined? Because I'm sure that there's some listeners who are really inspired by what you do, what you've done, but they wonder what is Carrie's method, what's her process, what's her system like in order to remain disciplined to get the results that she's getting?
0: Yeah, I mean, discipline is obviously really important. I think practically the best thing I can say is really to have a plan and write it down. So I make sure pretty much every single day I write down exactly what I need to do. I literally write down when I'm going to get up, when I'm going to eat breakfast, when I'm going to work, when I'm going to train. I write everything down. And I think that helps me to stay disciplined because I love being able to tick something off and say, "Yep, I actually did train today. You know, I actually did decide to read a bit for my dissertation or for my essay. So, yeah, it's definitely about actually keeping yourself accountable. And I think that really helps in terms of having self-discipline.
1: So do you practically physically write down these things as in pen and paper or do you use some sort of app
0: I am definitely a pen and paper type of person I like buying fancy you know fancy journals and diaries and kind of writing everything down
1: and what happens when you write something down or you plan your day you look at it and you just don't want to do it is there ever a time that you just don't want to go to training how do you overcome that
0: yeah, definitely. I have a lot of those days. Um, and I think especially even though we want to achieve our big goals, I'd say that when you achieve your big goals, it actually becomes harder to have that motivation because it's like, I've done it now. So why should I carry on training or whatever? So sometimes I have those days where I look and I'm like, oh, I really just can't be bothered to train. Um, but then I remember why I do it. And I think your why has to be a bit more than, oh, you know, I want to go to the Paralympic Games and want to win a medal. Sometimes your why has to be the enjoyment of it so sometimes I look at the list and I'm like you know what I'm going training because I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to have fun and that also motivates me.
1: That's so important you literally touched on the why the purpose behind what we actually do and you briefly mentioned that your why is because you're going to enjoy it so is there any other reason or why should I say behind the fact that you actually train four to five times a day you stay disciplined you stay motivated what, what's sort of driving you
0: I think also the fact that I want to have an impact greater than just me kind of winning medals and representing my country you know I want to be able to inspire young people especially young Black and Asian disabled people, because sadly, we're not really represented in Paralympic sport. So a lot of what I do is just the fact that I want to be on the teams. I want to be visible. I want to inspire and just encourage people to have a go at parasports.
1: No, that's really, really powerful. And I think it's actually important that you continue to do that because when I see you, you sort of like an introduction to the sport for me. Because I'll be honest, I never really watched para athletics before. And um, when I saw you on that track, when I saw you, you know, in Tokyo, literally competing against the world's best, like, and and getting that silver medal, it was so, so inspiring. So, um, more on that note of creating impact, I noticed that you do quite a lot of public speaking talk to me about the public speaking you do some of the organizations you've spoken at the individuals you speak to
0: yeah I mean to be honest the public speaking thing kind of happened almost naturally just because of being a part of the sport people wanted to hear about my story people want to know oh, how do you get into sport and and things like that so I took those opportunities generally it tends to be kind of charity events for sports charities for example sports aid um, I've done events with them um, one of my sponsors is BP and they're, um, obviously yeah, British Petroleum and they're a sponsor for the Paralympic Games. So I've been quite fortunate to do events for them. Um, also I generally speak at schools and at youth clubs and that kind of thing. So generally trying to encourage young people, but also trying to encourage people to raise money, um, for Paralympic sport as well.
1: That's so powerful. And what would you recommend or what advice would you give to somebody who's listening who wants to get into public speaking and is quite shy or they don't exactly know where to get started?
0: I think it's just really important to think about what you're passionate about and just talk about it, you know, whether it's online or whatever platform works for you and also take opportunities as well. You know, I'd say that even though I do talk quite a lot, I'm not necessarily the most. I wouldn't say I'm the most confident public speaker. It doesn't mean that I'm still building and and still trying to develop as a skill. So I think, yeah, it's just about taking opportunities to just chat to your friends or um, to have opportunities to talk, whether it might be in a society at university or in college, or yeah, just build it up gradually. I'd say.
1: No, I think you're a phenomenal speaker. I've I've seen a lot of different interviews and a lot of different um, engagements that you've been speaking at. And is there any Sort of practical tips you'll give somebody in terms of improving? Have you had a coach or mentor? Have you used any sort of applications or?
0: To be honest, I haven't. Like, I would probably, I'm definitely going to think about trying to, yeah, obviously develop that skill and maybe get some um, professional support for it. But I'd say personally, as I've said before, practice. I think really practicing helps. And eventually you just become more confident talking about your story and talking about the things that you enjoy.
1: Again, so you're valued by lots of organisations, including sponsors. So talk to me about sponsorship. How does um, a Paralympian get sponsored? Um, Are you allowed to have more than one sponsor? And what does that sponsorship entail?
0: Yeah, sponsorship is always really exciting. And it's so important for para-athletes because we don't necessarily get those opportunities to support or work for, you know, big brands. Generally, Olympians, able-bodied people generally get those um, types of opportunities. For me personally, I have an agent. So my agent is the one who kind of goes looking for people or just trying to almost pitch me to organisations to see who's interested in supporting me as, as an athlete. But also it's not just about me kind of selling myself. There's also a lot of benefits that I get from being sponsored, whether that's financial su- support, because para sport is very expensive, or whether it's just opportunities to be on a greater platform. Um, So that's generally how I've got my sponsorships.
1: I think it's actually important to even go in a bit more detail because generally just to create awareness about um, para sport, you said it's expensive. What what exactly do you mean by that? What are the costs associated with being a, a para athlete?
0: So firstly, specialist equipment is very expensive. So for me, my wheelchair, my racing wheelchair costs around £5,000. And that's if you want a bog standard racing chair. If you want a carbon racing chair, you're probably going to be paying around £10,000 or more. And that's just for the frame. And then the wheels will be another £1,000, £2,000 per pair. Tyres will be 500 pound or so and then yeah it's just it's really expensive also um you know travel to competitions I live in Coventry going to London Stoke Mandeville obviously you're going to be paying for petrol um and also if I'm traveling around the world if it's for a national event like a world championships I'm not paying or Paralympics I won't be paying but if I'm trying to just go for any other competition you know there's also finances I'm involved in that as well
1: Wow, when you said expensive, I don't think i was <laughs> I don't think I was expecting those figures, but um, it just goes to show even your dedication in the sport and um I'm so happy that you are sponsored so what organizations or companies are you sponsored by
0: so b p um is one of my main sponsors, and they are honestly amazing. I'm also sponsored by a company called autotterbo and they um they supply wheelchairs just regular. Uh, wheelchairs and also sports wheelchairs also I have a sponsor called Elite Therapy who supply me with you know massage therapy um you know and things like that So they are my uh, main sponsors. I was very fortunate at one time to be sponsored by Nike as well, which was great because getting free clothes and and free shoes was amazing. I no longer am sponsored by them, but honestly, I had a great time and they were extremely supportive as well. And that was a big deal because, you know, getting a kit sponsor for any athlete is a big deal, let alone um, a Paralympic athlete.
1: For sure. And you talked a bit about how organisations or big brands um, per se don't really sponsor para-athletes. So I'm just quite interested to know with Nike, was it the case that they stopped sponsoring you or why Why did that partnership come to an end?
0: Um, Basically, my contract just came to an end and then they didn't renew it. Um, That was literally just end of 2020. So starting 2021, um, my contract ended. So I think it was probably due to, you know, financial reasons perhaps, but obviously I don't know. I'm not going to speculate that at all. But I was with Nike for four years or so so I was with them for quite a long time um, which was great again but you know I think in general I hope that there will be more para-athletes that get supported by sports brands specifically you know kit sponsors because I think it's so important to get that publicity you know that awareness as well of para-sport.
1: Yes and you've been very fortunate to have an agent who's absolutely amazing as I can tell and bringing on some new sponsors and talk to me about getting an agent if there's a potential para-athlete listening how do they go about finding an agent
0: i think the process generally is i guess just finding out about people connecting to people for me i actually met um there's an athlete called adam jamili um, I don't know if you know him. He's a sprinter and I knew that his mum was an agent. So basically I met him in Loughborough, I think it was, because that's the high pack, high performance center for athletics, para and able bodied. I met him and then my dad was there as well. And we knew about his mum and we basically just asked him, could we have your mum's number? <laughs> could, he, could, you know, could she be my agent? And basically since that moment, she's now my agent. So sometimes it's literally about going up to people and asking. Sometimes they come to you, but a lot of the time you just have to go to people and ask.
1: No, literally, you've explained the power of networking. And I think that networking is so underrated. And I could tell that you're an avid networker. Um, You're really confident in terms of reaching out to people and just cheering people on. So what tips would you give for general networking for anybody listening?
0: To be honest, it depends. I think at the end of the day, as I was saying before, it's just important just to talk to people and just be yourself. Um, Social media is a great place to network, to be honest. I've got a lot of opportunities, commercial opportunities, literally just through Instagram. So sometimes that's a great place to start. And yeah, just be confident. Obviously, you can build your brand around social media And around sport, for example, and what you do. And um, you'll just find connections through that and just develop them naturally, even just through friendships as well.
1: So I want to bring it back to the sport, um, parathletics and sort of some of your achievements, because I think there's a lot of value that can be taken from that. When you were in Rio, could you just tell me what races you did and where did you place? What medals did you get?
0: So at the Rio 2016 Games, I got a silver in the 100 metres and a bronze in the 400 metres and the 800 metres.
1: Then in between Rio and the Tokyo Paralympic Games, you actually competed um, at different national competitions. Um, Talk to me about the London Diamond League Games and what it was like to break a world record.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was a huge highlight of my career, definitely. So 2018, they had the Diamond League final in London, which is just a big event for athletics, for able-bodied athletics. And there was a guest event for the T3400 metres. So I raced that and I broke a world record. I was the first female to go under 17 seconds in the 100 metres for my classification. So it was a big deal. It was just crazy. And honestly, it was such a perfect day. I had all my family watching in the crowd, literally Everything just went perfectly, the whole thing. And yeah, it was just an amazing experience.
1: What was the world record before?
0: Yeah, so I think the world record before that was 17.1, I think, or 17.15 around that. And then I did it in 16.8 at the time. And that was a massive PB for me. I think that was like... I think it was like a 0.6 PB or something just crazy. I absolutely smashed my PB. I think, yeah, I think I did 17.35 in June and then did 16.8 in July or something like that.
1: Then you went to Tokyo, um, Tokyo 2020 in 2021, of course, because of the pandemic, but we won't talk about that. Um, What was your time in Tokyo 2020?
0: So my time in Tokyo 2020 was not as quick as the world record. I did... 17.03 17.03 I think or was it yeah something like that I can't remember it was a bit like that it was a 17 um, and I got a silver medal um, but before that the world record I broke in 2018 had been broken so I uh, broken again so I knew that you know it was going to be a very close race um, and yeah I mean I, that's the nature of sport you know records are made to be broken um, but nonetheless um, Tokyo was a great experience
1: One moment that I watched and I was really, really touched was when you actually returned from Tokyo. So um, you returned and you were literally greeted with talking drums, African talking drums, um, saxophone, people cheering you on, literally celebrating and appreciating you. So how did you feel? What was going through your head as you were literally coming down the airport?
0: Um, I was just so happy to be home. You know, obviously I wanted to go to Tokyo, but I was so happy to just get back to some sort of normality and to see my family. I have a lot of family that live in London, so they were able to come to Heathrow airport and meet me and to have the music and my parents. Honestly, it was just so amazing to see everybody. And also really just to celebrate, you know, my journey. I've been racing for nine years now and it was just a great celebration of just all my achievements and how far I've come.
1: In that nine years of racing, if you were to sort of go back to the start of your career, what would you tell your younger self?
0: I'd tell my younger self to be patient and just to enjoy the process because I've definitely had moments where I've got so ahead of myself. i got so worried about having the perfect result and getting the medals and all this stuff. But I think it's just so important to just enjoy the process and just embrace you know, the present moment. I think I'd definitely tell myself that
1: that is valuable enjoy the process because I think not just athletes literally anyone can get caught up in the the final result right Mm. when we work hard at something we often want to see the fruits of our labor but how much do we reflect and just think about the process and um literally congratulate ourselves so as you were thinking about the process in terms of what you've done how you got there is there anything you would have done differently
0: I don't know, to be honest. I think I've learned from everything, you know, so I wouldn't say I would have necessarily changed anything. Um, No, I think, yeah, I've learned from the ups and downs. Um, I don't think I would have done anything differently.
1: What sort of traits, skills or routines would you say makes a successful Paralympian?
0: I think organisation, being really organised is a really important trait. In terms of organising your time, as I've mentioned before, in terms of having structure and deciding what you're going to achieve each day, setting goals as well is quite an important habit that a lot of Paralympians have. Just having that vision for the future in terms of what you want to achieve and how that kind of manifests in different ways in terms of what you want to achieve in terms of numbers, what times you want to achieve, what medals you want to um, win um, and even just simple things like, okay, how am I going to improve in the gym? And I think it's just about being very meticulous about things. Paralympians and Olympians are generally just very meticulous, very controlling in some ways in terms of their time and and in terms of what they want to achieve.
1: And how does one achieve that? perfect balance of organization or near, near perfect shall I say
0: I think it's difficult um I think at the end of the day it's about not being too harsh on yourself with organization like obviously you have a plan but except that sometimes we have to be flexible with our plans um in terms of being organized it's just about making a habit of it um making sure that you day by day make those decisions that are going to help you to achieve you know those larger goals
1: What has helped you specifically in university? Because um, this is the valuable podcast and we want to extract as much value as we can. And um, the proofs in the pudding, like I can see that you're very, very organized to be able to study at a high level institution as well as travel to so many countries abroad and compete in two different Paralympics. So what do you specifically do or use to manage your time and stay organized?
0: deadlines setting your own deadlines is really important so you might have a large deadline whether that's a sports deadline or um, an academic deadline and I usually try and just set my own mini deadlines to support myself to achieving certain academic goals whether it's like if if an essay is due I'm not like the person that's going to be doing it like the night before maybe that's the athlete in me I don't know but yeah just obviously staying organized um making sure I do things kind of days and days or weeks in advance that kind of thing Um, So in that sense, I've always had to do that just to stay organised as an athlete, making sure that my work's done and I can focus on training. um, And then also that um, is applicable academically.
1: I believe you're in your final year of university. Next year, couple of months, you'll be graduating. What does life look like after graduation?
0: Yeah, I know. It's crazy. How how quickly has that gone? Um, I think what I'll probably do is I don't think I'm going to go straight into a master's. I definitely want to do a PGCE at some point. Um, I'm definitely quite passionate about education. Um, You know, so that's definitely something I want to do, but I think I will probably focus, you know, maybe on sport for a while, just sport because balancing both is quite difficult. Maybe see how that goes. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Again, I'm trying to stay in the moment, (laughs) stay present, but um, yeah, those are a couple of ideas anyway
1: sorry what's a PGC in case none of the listeners know
0: oh so the PGC is basically um your qualifications that you need to be a teacher um so either for secondary or primary education um so it's like a equivalent of a master's
1: so if you were to go on to be a teacher what would you teach
0: history definitely I definitely teach history there's a lot of things that need to be better about history teaching I don't want to go on a rant but if you want me to I will
1: (laughs) (laughs) no um, (laughs) it's evident that you're really passionate about history and I think it's important because it's part of you so when did you become so interested in history and you talked a bit about black history as well so how much does that actually mean to you
0: it means a lot to me. I think I became interested in black history because I realized how we just weren't being taught it at school. So I was having to buy books and learn about it myself, um or just watch things on YouTube or whatever, watch things on TV and just learn and um, for myself just in terms of the fact that sadly the curriculum is very eurocentric and generally we learn about British history, but we don't really learn about black British history. Um you know, and just the way that black people have I guess you know evolved and just how the community has developed. Um, so that all those kind of things have made me really passionate about history and just finding out about myself and about kind of my roots as such.
1: Yes, I think that's so so important. And growing up in Coventry as as a young young black woman, would you say that you're the minority?
0: Um, at my school, I was uh, one of the minority. Um, I went to a private school. Um, in Coventry and at the time actually I was like the only black person in my class in sixth form somehow I was the only black person in my upper sixth, which makes no sense I don't know how that's possible every other year there were more than one but for some reason my year group just we didn't have many black people um during sixth form <laughs> for my year and um, so I have generally been the minority um in education but in Coventry Coventry in general is quite a diverse place
1: and being the the only sort of black individual in your sixth form, did that shape you in any way? Did that shape um, your education or how you sort of jumped into the next step going into university?
0: Yeah, um, I think so. Um, so being like the only one kind of in my upper sixth um kind of made me want to probably reach out to more black people dare I say when I started university you know I kind of was keen to obviously get involved in things like the ACS or this kind of things. even though I, I generally didn't once I got there to be honest but I, I wanted to kind of be involved in that and just be around people who I had more things in common with um so it wasn't a bad thing at all but it was just nice to get to know people who yeah I just had more things I could relate to on another in another way.
1: We talked a bit about life after graduation and you wanted to either go into teaching or focus on athletics do you think it's possible to be a full-time Paralympian or full-time para-athlete?
0: Yeah I mean you can so thankfully through lottery funding that a lot of us receive as British athletes you basically have the money to support you to be able to go full-time so there are plenty of athletes who do decide to go um, full-time.
1: Is that something you're thinking about?
0: Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. The thing is, I like being very busy and I don't know if I could do the full-time life. I think I'd get really bored. So um, I'm not sure.
1: Is there a time that you've ever thought about quitting, ever thought about this is too much or you don't want to do this anymore?
0: Yeah, to be honest, I'll be, I'll be super honest. I have moments even now, you know, um, and I think that's just, that's part of life. That's part of sport. Um, especially when you've been doing sport for nine years, I I started when I was 11, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'll be 21 when this gets released. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where there's a lot of sacrifices involved. And sometimes I have felt like I wanted to give up. It can be overwhelming mentally, physically. It's very demanding as well. Um, yeah. It can be hard.
1: How do you take care of your your mental health in terms of when you might feel a bit anxious or um, these battening thoughts are going through your head?
0: I've had support from sports psychologists, which is really good. Um, I think it's important to look after yourself holistically as an athlete. You know, it's not just about the physical aspect of you. Like your head has to be in the right place. It's so important. So I've had support through psychology, which has really, really helped me. Um, Also, you know, being a Christian, like my faith helps me, keeps me grounded um, and that also helps me in in many ways to kind of keep going as well.
1: Has your faith played a massive role in your sports as well as your life?
0: Yeah definitely I think my faith has helped me in terms of knowing my identity and obviously I know we have been talking about value I think my faith helps me in terms of knowing my value outside of you know my career because I think when you're an athlete or when you're kind of in whatever sort of sphere you're in, sometimes your identity can get so attached to what you do that you kind of lose who you are. And I've had moments like that for sure, but I feel like definitely in 2020, when the Paralympics was postponed, I think God really revealed to me that, mm, you know, the sport thing might just be an idol. And I was like, I don't want to hear that, Lord. Why would you say that? But actually I needed to hear that. So now I'm definitely in a better place um, you know, with my identity. And in that sense, sport has been really great it's been a blessing but also I think um you know it's important to know who you are outside of sport
1: wow I think that is so so important if you're listening please do not overlook that I think that process of being attached to like a status for example some people mm. are attached to their career they're, they're not really valued or they're not really known outside of that so if this person is an accountant they're an accountant if they're dancer, they're dancer. If they're athlete, they're an athlete. But who are you behind that? It's so inspiring listening to you that you know that you're valued and you know that you have a purpose. Why? Because sort of God created you and, um, you're much more than a Paralympian. Hmm. So, um, that's really inspiring. In the next one to three years, could you sort of give me an outlook of where you're like to be?
0: Well, we've got the Commonwealth Games um, in Birmingham in 2022. So that's a huge event. Obviously, that's um, an integrated event. So you've got able-bodied athletes, para-athletes all together. So that's going to be really exciting. That's definitely a short-term goal. Uh, I definitely want to go into teaching. So maybe the next three years I'll be like teaching history somewhere. And uh, (laughs) so that would be also quite fun.
1: And what about 2024 Paris? Is that something that's crossed your mind?
0: Yes, it has. Um, I definitely take things like season by season. We'll see how it goes. Obviously, it would be great um, to go to a third Paralympic Games. That would be crazy because I'll be I'll be twenty three and I would have gone to three Paralympic Games, which I think is quite impressive. So yeah, year by year. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be fun.
1: Absolutely. no, Carrie. this has been such a value-filled conversation and I'm so happy that you've joined me today on the Valuable Podcast. So just to close off, where can they find you? Where can they support you? Where can they follow you for more information and also to just see your story unfold?
0: My main socials are Instagram at Carrie Adenigan and then Twitter at Adenigan K. So they are generally where I'm quite active and you can follow um, my progress at uni and also on the track
1: thank you so much and I wish you the very best at university as we are literally in this together <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening if you like this episode please leave a review on apple Podcasts and follow us on social media at valuable Podcasts. last but not least for exclusive detailed content sign up for the weekly newsletter at www. Valuable podcast.com. Remember, increase the value you provide, and you'll rise in due time.